Hello, my friends. Welcome to Pensive Politics, Mr. Watson. I am indeed your host, as always, Christian Watson. It is so good to be with you guys here today. So, uh, how have you guys been this week? I've been okay. I haven't done, really done a show this week because I've been dealing with some, and I'll be transparent with you guys. I don't, I don't have anything to hide. And truly, anyone who is going to try to be a public figure, who is going to amass a fan base, who is going to amass a following, who's going to be able to speak authentically and vivaciously about the issues which underlie American politics, which animate our political system, is going to have to be a pure vessel for the truth, or try to be a pure vessel for the truth. And a part of that purity insinuates being honest. Honesty is very important, my friends. Honesty is the difference between self-mastery and self-destruction. Honesty is what happens when you are ready to confront the ego and hold it to its true value. Joe Bonamassa, one of my favorite singers, he once said, <laughs> Happiness is a bottle. Happiness is pain. Happiness is the life that you live. And can't nobody do it better. Can't nobody but me. Love ain't a love song. That's a good song if you haven't heard it before. That's some good blues rock music. <laughs> I seem like an old man. I'm only 20, but I seem like an old man. <laughs> but there's there's a sense to that. I was actually reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And I, as a philosophy student, I'm kind of conditioned to believe this idea. If you study ancient Greek philosophy or hedonism, that happiness is the ultimate aim. This is a really Aristotelian idea. Although some Aristotle scholars would say, oh, he didn't mean happiness. He meant flourishing happiness, okay? <laughs> I think that's the consensus, happiness. To be happy is the ultimate philosophical, metaphysical goal. But Solzhenitsyn, he had a brilliant, 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 um, brilliant quote about happiness. He basically said that it's a pitiful ideology to think that human beings are meant to be happy. In fact, let me pull it up. This is from the uh, an excerpt from the Gulag Archipelago. Um, he says, he says, so wouldn't it be more correct to say that no camp can corrupt those who have a stable nucleus? So it's about having consistency, having a core foundation within yourself. Who do not accept that pitiful ideology which holds that human beings are created for happiness. An ideology which is done in by the first blow of the work assigner's cudgel. My God. Think about that. Peterson, Jordan Peterson uses this quote too. Let me read that again for you guys. So wouldn't it be more correct to say that no camp can corrupt those who have a stable nucleus. So for Solzhenitsyn, this is a philosophical point here, for Solzhenitsyn, it's about having stability, conviction within yourself. How can you have a stable nucleus if you are in disagreement about what the nucleus is? So many of us are in disagreement about what the nucleus is. So many of us are in disagreement about who we are. So many of us are trying to weigh ourselves against society. Are you guys ready for this? I don't think you're, are you guys ready for this? Some of you may not be ready for to hear this. 
Some of you may be going through a crisis right now. So many of us are laboring under false ideas for expediency, for acceptance, for relation, to get that happiness, to get that eudaimonia. You don't have a stable nucleus. So wouldn't it be more correct to say that no camp can corrupt those who have a stable nucleus who do not accept? So if you have a stable nucleus, you will have a, a for social niche and you will have a sort of adverse relationship with this idea of happiness being the metaphysical composition of a human being. Who do not accept that pitiful ideology which holds that human beings are created for happiness. An ideology which is done in by the first blow of the work assigner's cudgel. My God. Solzhenitsyn is saying that we all experience pain. And if our goal is happiness, if that is the fulfilled life, then you're going to have to eliminate a lot of the human experience. You're going to have to labor in a fantasy land. You're going to have to do something that would be inhuman, unnatural, that would completely and utterly be almost impossible. Pain is an enduring thing. Life is struggle. Life is suffering. Life is pain. But life is also love. Life is also joy. Life is also uh, satisfaction. Life is many things. Why reduce all of it to happiness? So, you have to be honest with yourself, people. You've got to confront these demons you have. You can't labor around in public, walking in someone else's shoes, wearing someone else's armor. And I'm learning this myself. This is not Christian trying to preach at you. I'm learning this myself. And so speaking of being authentic, we got a few topics to cover, to cover today. So AOC has been in the news because AOC has, she went on Instagram Live to express her story, her experience in the United States Capitol. And when she did so, when she did so, a lot of people on the right maimed her. They, they they absolutely just attacked her and they're calling her all kind of names. Tucker Carlson called her a hypocrite and arrogant. Lauren Chen is calling her victimhood or whatever. And the biggest thing with AOC story is because she said she's a sexual assault uh, survivor. And the Capitol riots gave her flashbacks, gave her memories of her sexual assault. And look, I don't, I don't, I don't care what you think about AOC. I don't care. I'm not a fan of her politics. I disagree with her fervently on the fundamentals of reality. I disagree with her fervently on the fundamentals of human existence, as I do most progressives. I don't care what your politics is. If suffering is a universal thing, and we are all in this human thing together, 
you should be able to exhibit basic empathy for another human being who has undergone such a horrific experience. I don't care if you don't like the context in which they apply that experience. You should be able to exhibit basic empathy. Shed the political skin, the code of politics which shields your senses and binds them from being able to see anything outside of it. Shed it and look at AOC as a human, not as a congresswoman. Because her being a congresswoman is external to her being a human. Her being a human is the wholeness of her. So we'll discuss that. We'll discuss this, this deal with the Proud Boys in Canada getting, getting designated a terrorist organization because, well, the Canadian government wants to use their slanted ideas and enforce them upon all of us upon their citizens with force and coercion. That's primarily why. Not because the Proud Boys are actually dangerous. They're, I, I would say the opposite. And I have, I have disagreements with the Proud Boys. Don't get me wrong. I have serious disagreements with the Proud Boys. But they're not terrorists. And we'll also discuss some of the new things happening with Pennsylvania politics and how Biden's executive actions his roving executive actions, which are currently, his orders are two orders shy away from FDR in his first month, within a week or two of his presidency, Joe Biden's. We'll discuss how they are fundamentally concerning to the continuation of the American experiment, and how they reflect, and how the resentment towards those orders reflect a mentality that does not want to address the issues, address the cause of the orders, but rather the symptoms. All that and more on this very long introduction to this episode of Pence and Politics with Mr. Watson. <laughs> Look, you should get used to me doing long, long introductions. Get used to it. Get used to it, man. It's just like... It happens. Life is not about... Concision is okay. But life is not about putting everything into a neat box. Life is a very rough, dynamic road. You lose things, you gain things. You experience happiness. You experience sorrow. That can't be summarized. It has to be experienced. It has to be felt. And Pence of Politics is an experience. I want this to reach through your mind, go down to the depths of your soul, and germinate something new within you. It's an experience. And so speaking about experiences, AOC. So, there's an article here from CNN, and the article says, it was dated yeah, um, two days ago, February 2nd, the article says, Democratic Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said during an Instagram live broadcast Monday night that she is a survivor of sexual assault. Ocasio-Cortez made the statement, which appeared to be one of the first times she has spoken in public about being a survivor. In contextualizing her trauma in the wake of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last month. The New York Democrat went through a detailed account of her day on January 6th, recounting her experience during the riot. 
She said those in Congress who are willing to tell her to move on or even apologize following the violent insurrection at the Capitol in January were using the same tactics as abusers. The reason I say this, and the reason I'm getting emotional in this moment, is because these folks who tell us to move on, that it's not a big deal, that we should get forget what's happening, or even tell us to apologize, these are the same tactics of abusers. And um, I'm a sexual, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And I haven't told many people that in my life. But when we go through trauma, trauma compounds on each other. And so, whether you had a negligent or neglectful parent and or whether you had someone who was verbally abusive to you, whether you are a survivor of abuse, whether you experience intra trauma in your life, small to large, these episodes can compound on one another. And so, AOC describes in the broadcast how she thought she was going to die. She said that she had to return to her office after getting her second um, dose of the COVID vaccine. And her director, her legislative director, heard loud bangs in the hallway. Ocasio Cortez said it was about 1.01 p.m. when she, because she had said she had got just gotten off the phone with her chief of staff, and she describes her experience and everything. Okay, so the big part of this story is AOC likened people who are being dismissive of the Capitol riots to using the same tactics as sexual assault abusers. Now look. I disagree with that characterization. I'm not, I'm not, I don't agree with that. However, however, it is very important to understand that for someone who experienced such trauma, in that moment, you should not do your best to quote-unquote disprove their hypothesis of this thing. They're simply stating their experience. Whether their experience is necessarily endemic to what the intentions of the people um, dismissing the riots were is immaterial. People can experience trauma. Trauma is transient, right? People can experience trauma in many different ways, many different forms. Emotional trauma, physical trauma. And memories can come back. I've lost my, it's been two months since I lost my grandmother. And I dearly miss her. That was the first time I've lost a family member that was close to me. That has traumatized me in a sense. And if I were to see someone else, another person's grandmother dying, that would make me say, oh my God, I'm having flashbacks. Now, I wouldn't accuse that person's grandmother of using the tactics of abusers because she wouldn't do that. But it would trigger something in me. And sometimes when you're feeling the experiences, when you're reliving the experiences that you went under, you can say things that are not meant to be taken or shouldn't be taken as political arguments, but should rather be taken as the extension of someone letting out the frustration and the pain of their trauma. That is what the thing is here. And so, Dr. Carlin Borshenko, I have to just, that lady is phenomenal. She is one of the best political commentators on the scene right now. I listen to her videos on YouTube every single day. She is brilliant. She is, what I love about Dr. Borshenko, she is vivaciously truthful. 
She does not care who doesn't like it. She lives for the truth. That's why I love her so much. She will not kowtow and bow and bow to the demands of people who exist solely for political expediency. She exists for the truth and she fights for it. That's why I like her. That's why I adore her. And she's also let me come on her platform and talk about things as well that others have not let me talk about. So Dr. Borshenko got into a, t a Twitter tiff with some members of the right who were discounting AOC's experience and discounting her own experience and saying, oh, well, it doesn't really, AOC is this and that and that and it doesn't matter about her at all. Da, 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 da. And Dr. Borshenko has just been constantly going out there and saying, yes, it does matter. It does matter. It really does matter. And you shouldn't see her simply as a politician, see her as a human being. Disagree with her positions, yes, but her humanity is something that we all share in common, and you should respect that. I'm with that. I believe that idea. I affirm that idea. I support that idea. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, my friends. I don't care what you think about her. But see, here's the, here's the underlying issue of, of all of this. And I mentioned this with Scott Baio. I talked to Scott Baio about this. When politics underlies your view of life and you reduce life to politics, you begin seeing people as pawns in a game rather than living breathing human beings without distinctions with you ideologically. What did Bob Dylan say? He's just a pawn in our game. That's what he said. Just a pawn in our game. Beautiful song. It's about how people in the South were misled about black folks in the 50s and 60s. To hate them. And he was basically saying, again, that when in, in the, the philosophy of Dylan, he was basically saying that Black folks were reduced to a single quality, the enemy, the scapegoat, and they were continually attacked. In fact, I will read some of the lyrics, because there are parallels, right? So, the lyrics say, um, I'll start here in the middle of the sentence. The, um, a South politician preaches to the poor white man, you got more than the blacks, don't complain. You're better than them. You've been born with white skin. They explain. And the Negro's name is used, it is plain, for the politician's gain as he rises to fame. And the poor right remains on the caboose of the train. But it ain't him to blame. He's only a pawn in their game. That's Bob Dylan. Now, Dylan is talking about a different context. The context here is not racist white folks reducing black folks to their skin complexion. The context here is instead partisans reducing other partisans to their politics and treating them accordingly. And you're being used by this sort of outrage machine which has dominated our media, dominated our political society, 
to push out clicks and checks and other kind of things. You're up and you remain poor on the back of the train. Poor in the sense of you are poor in values. You have a poverty of value within you. You can be rich in materials and have a poverty of values. Poverty and wealth are, can be measured in many different ways. That is the situation going on here. We have to be able to recognize our common humanity, even if we disagree with someone. So, look, be a decent person. Don't uh, don't attack AOC on her sexual assault experiences. D- don't attack her personally. Attack her ideas. The Green New Deal, terrible. Medicare for all, disastrous. Continuing the entitlement the entire program, terrible. The UBI, bad. Attack the ideas. Because <clears throat> again, we are simply vessels for these ideas to come go about. AOC is not who you need to attack. Her ideas are. So, again, I'm not going to challenge her assertion that she feels like the riots reminded her of her abuse experience. That's her experience. I do not have that experience. Lived experience only goes so far. But in that instance, that is truly her unique experience. I will push back a little bit. I don't think that it is fair to characterize people who were talking about the riots as being akin to abusers. That is not fair. But you have to understand where she's coming from. Put yourself in her shoes. This is not the hill to die on. This is not the hill to die on. At all. Be kind, people. Be loving. See each other as human beings, not just political people. Be, be a, be a mensch. Be a mensch. As my Jewish brother and sister would say, just be, just be a good person, please. Master your passions. See, we lack from, our society has a lack of continence. Master your passions. Forget about this virtue, Aristotelian business. Master your passions. Bring them to heal. And just live your life out in accordance to the responsible exhibition of your rights. Be a mensch, please. Be a a good person. Because there comes a point in time, my friends, where we're all, eventually, we are all tumbling towards our demise. Or our ascent, depending on how you see it. Life is a very short endeavor, and I don't want to spend my life, my 50, 60, hopefully 70 more years on this planet, attacking people, upsetting people. That's just not what I want to do. I want to build something, my, my friends. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to me on YouTube, Christian Watson. That's my channel name. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Pensive Politics. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Interact with me on Twitter and Facebook, at uh, Official C. Watson. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how you're doing. Pensive Politics is a collaborative experience, my friends. So we'll see you after this break. We'll see you in one moment.
Welcome back, my friends. It's me, your host, Christian Watson, again. So, over the break, I was thinking about a few things. I was thinking very hard about... As I mentioned, we are allowing ourselves to be consumed by politics. And when you are consumed by a single quality in your life, which rejects the dynamic, multivariate nature of our reality, multivariate nature of your life, multivariate nature of human beings in general, you are being pulled by a dark force away from the truth that is a proper understanding realization of reality. And you're being taken down to a den, down to a cave, as Plato would say, and given false ideas, false illusions about the world. And a group that I think has an illusory image painted about them is the Proud Boys. So the Proud Boys are seen as this maniacal, terroristic, angry den of, of far-right men that seek to destroy and terrorize all of us. Or at least, if you're in Canada, that's what the Trudeauian government just said. <laughs> so the AP, AP, Associated Press, just put out this about eight hours ago. No, today, actually. Eight hours ago. Today. Early in the morning. They said, the Canadian government designated the Proud Boys as a, gr as a terrorist group on Wednesday, noting that they played a pivotal role in the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. The Proud Boys have increased scrutiny, have faced increased scrutiny after seizing on the former Trump administration's policies. And the group was a major agitator during earlier protests and the Capitol riot on January 6th. The Proud Boys is a far-right, male-chauvinist, extremist group known for engaging violent classes at political rallies. Canada is the first country to designate them as a terrorist entity. And hopefully Canada is the last. So just in that sentence there, and this is why I made a video about this. Stop adulating media. There's a media bias chart which has, which has the AP in the middle at the top. And if you're in the middle at the top, you are the most unbiased or the most close to unbiased source that exists. Stop it. These are organizations staffed by people. These are not. This is why people don't understand. The AP is nothing more than the sum of the wills of its reporters and its workers. And guess what? Its reporters and its workers have biases. Its reporters and its workers have slants. The idea of truth may be better served by something like the AP, but it is still elusive. Because they still have biases, they still have slants, and in many cases, like in this case, their biases and their slants come through in their writing. This is not to say the AP is a bad organization. It's not. I read them all the time. I get a lot of topic ideas from They're not bad. But stop treating them as if they are the creme de la creme of journalism. They're not. In my opinion, at least they're not. This is a very unconventional opinion, of course. Because there are several inaccuracies in that statement. So, the Proud Boys being an earlier agitator, an earlier protest. Listen, I dare you, find me three instances 
Well, the Proud Boys went into a protest, active looking for a fight. The Proud Boys are reactionaries. Reactionaries simply exist in relation to a event or occurrence or group or person that has inspired and animated their ability to be reactionaries. Therefore, the Proud Boys only show up most of the time to counter other people. If you understand the history of the Proud Boys, this is typically Antifa. So to say they are agitators is a, a gross oversimplification of the facts. The facts is the Proud Boys are reactionaries, and you can say reactionism is bad. I think that it is. I think that it, it can. I think that it is. I think that when you build a foundation off of reactionism, you don't have a stability. You don't have what social Nietzsche calls a stable nucleus. You have whims and contingencies, violent contingencies, which whip and whirl like the wind. So I don't like that. But to say they're terrorists or agitators because they're reactionaries, I don't think so. But the danger of reactionism is that it reacts to whatever it's in relation to. So it could also take the form of the context and the circumstance that it exists in. For example, if you have a group that is reacting to violence from a certain group, they may have an aggressive tone. But why do they have the aggressive tone? You can't just view these things in isolation. Nothing exists in a vacuum. This is an interconnected world. But to most readers, they'll simply look at that and say, oh my, agitators, terrorists, we need to get rid of them. And yes, it is true. There were some Proud Boys involved in the Capitol riots. This is an article from CNN. Uh, it's titled, New Charges Alleged Proud Boys um, Prepped for Capitol Insurrection. It says, two prominent affiliates of the Proud Boys face new conspiracy charges related to the U.S. Capitol riot. And another was arrested Wednesday as the Justice Department laid out a planning and funding effort within the far-right extremist group and major... So why am I why am I reading CNN? What? The Lord have mercy. Again, this far-right stuff. You see, they invalidate people's views by calling them, oh, it's a far-right <sighs> extremist without saying what's extreme, extreme about them. Extremism, my friends, is not necessarily a bad thing. When it clouds your judgment, it can be a bad thing. But being extreme, I'm an extremist for liberty. I think 95% of the federal government needs to be abolished. EPA, Department of Education, Commerce, they are unnecessary regulatory burdens on the creative and free energies of American citizens. That's radical. That's extreme. I wear that label proudly. I think the government should only exist to protect my rights and nothing else. I think America should not be building an empire on the world. I think that social security and all this welfare stuff robs me of my ability to help people independent of theft and robbery. I think forcing people to serve cakes people they don't want to serve cakes to is a violation of their rights. I'm extreme. But am I violent? No. Extremism is oftentimes conflated with violence. It's dishonest what they're doing here, people. 
So they indicted two Proud Boys. There is talk that there were more Proud Boys. But there are thousands of Proud Boys. There are thousands of Proud Boys. Eleven Proud Boys have been charged in connection with the insurrection. According to CNN. But again, there are thousands of them. Thousands. And the leader himself has condemned the violence. So I, I just don't... You look at a group's concept and you make conclusions, and that can be fine sometimes. Like for the Ku Klux Klan, you can look at their concept and say, okay, this is bad. But even with these white supremacist groups, some of them don't do violence at all. Some of them just say to themselves in their wood, in their backwoods, hip country mentalities, and their provincialist mentalities, and they wallow in that crap. Some of them do violence. You cannot deduce, unless an ideology agitates for violence explicitly, you cannot deduce someone's actions from their ideology in totality. So Canada is saying, no, this group is dangerous. It was involved in the Capitol riots. We have to call it a terrorist organization. That's what Canada is saying. Because the, the Trudeauian government, again, does not have an understanding of nuance. And so the, reader, the leader of the Proud Boys, the so-called white supremacist organization by the SPLC, Enrique Terrio, Hispanic, said he called the terrorist nation in Canada ridiculous. Terrio says, there is no basis for it. It's an infringement of free speech rights. All the Canadian Proud Boys have ever done is go to rallies. Terrio said in a phone interview with the AP. They use what happened at the Capitol to push for this. Terrio said, the Canadian chapters are very quiet compared to their American counterparts. Now, Terrio himself was arrested for vandalizing a, a Black Lives Matter flag, which is wrong. Again, all property violations or property violations is wrong. But again, there are plenty of proud boys who do not do violence. Now, I've already expressed my opinion about the Proud Boys in a, in, a, in a video that I did called Why the Proud Boys are Misguided, something of that sort. Look, I don't think being proud, having an excessive amount of pride, leads you to do wise actions, leads you to do virtuous actions, leads you to do um, self-contained actions. I think that it can lead you to do dangerous actions. I think you have to check your pride, check your ego. Right, The individual inside of you, the I inside of you, I am that I am, as the ancient texts say, that I inside of you, the I am inside of you, is very important to maintain. It's very important to maintain, especially in relation to social binds and diktats. But the I am inside of you is not, should not go beyond you. The problem is, the Proud Boys, their I am is going beyond them, and they're exib exhibiting this sort of reductionist mentality about Western civilization. They're romanticizing it, forgetting all of the bad things, focusing only on the, on the good things. They're excluding other cultures or ideas from being considered. Although I, I'm, not a I'm not a fan of cultural relativism, of course, but I am a fan of understanding that this world is more than just a collection of historical events that led to particular values. We're more than that. 
we're dynamic living human beings. So I have problems with the Proud Boys. I have philosophical disagreements with the Proud Boys. But they're not terrorists. They're not terrorists. And those that do violence, arrest them individually without trying to brand the entire group a terrorist group. If you're going to brand any group a terrorist group, I think Antifa would be a better candidate than the Proud Boys. Why? Well, let me tell you. Antifa has actually had coordinated strikes, attacks, harassment campaigns against people like Tucker Carlson, um, against Rand Paul. Like These have been coordinated from the top down. And trust me, it's not this decentralized effort that they're making it out to be. There's connections. There's coordination. Antifa follows what the white supremacists of the 80s and 90s followed after the FBI began breaking up the Klan in 86-87. It's called leaderless resistance. Leaderless resistance. Um, A guy named Alan Berg. I'm not sure if you guys know who this guy is. Alan Berg, he was a radio talk show host and attorney from Denver. And he was killed in 1984 by a white nationalist group called The Order. The Order robbed banks, racketeering, all kind of malicious things. The Order followed the method of leaderist resistance. Basically said, okay, we're not going to have a single unified centralized entity. We're going to have multiple different entities so that if they shut one of us down, we can keep going on. That's the concept. Antifa is following the same concept. That does not mean they're not connected. Of course they're connected. But of course Antifa shares some of the ideological sympathies of the Trudeauian government. So why get them? Why attack them? Point is, my friends, the freedom of association is an important value to maintain. It is an extension of our natural rights. You should be able to associate with anyone at any time for peaceful and voluntary purposes. For the Canadian government to have a case here, they would have to demonstrate that the Proud Boys overall are not peaceful and their association is not voluntary and that they coordinate on certain things. You cannot prove that from saying, okay, 11 people out of hundreds of thousands who were at the Capitol and many of whom were in the Proud Boys were arrested in connection with this. You cannot deduce that from saying, okay, two people here or one person here was arrested for vandalizing a flag. You cannot deduce the disposition of the entire group or most of the group by looking at a few key people and making a roving decision. That is intellectually dishonest and that does not lend itself to logical conclusions. It lends itself to to emotional conclusions. To ideological German conclusions. The, um, the Canadian government is not operating logically. The Canadian government is operating under a false sense of superiority and protectionism for their citizens. They have to prove their case. <laughs> they have not done that. So what is the material effects of this order? Well, according to the article, this is the AP article, the terrorist designation in Canada means the group may have assets seized and face harsher terrorism-related criminal penalties. A government official said that just because they are a member does not mean they'll be charged with a crime, but if they do engage in violent acts, they could be charged with terrorist crimes. So if... A Proud Boy guy 
is in a bar. He gets in a drunken brawl with someone. And both of them are fighting. And they have like, they're fucked up a little bit, but they're not really maimed or anything. It's just like minor injuries. You would use his association with the Proud Boys to give give him a terrorist charge. This is a classic case of guilt by association. It's wrong. It's unethical. In Canada, people think Canada is such an... The government near there needs to go. People need to vote pe- no people in or something. Or This is ridiculous. I have never seen such a... Well, actually, I have seen such a blatant rights violation. I mean, it happens in America all the time. <laughs> but it's just... It's stunning. It's stunning how vivaciously ignorant and disregarding of rights these people are. It's a shame. And Jen Paskey, Biden's spokesperson... Press secretary, when asked if she would go ahead and if she would designate the Proud Boys as a terrorist entity, the United States would, she said, we will wait for that review to conclude before we make any determinations. The United States Domestic Extremism Review, which many politicians, both civil libertarians and progressives, have come out and condemned for its implications and rights protections. What the hell? We, we, woohoo, America. America. Watch yourself, man. Catch yourself, baby. Catch yourself. This is dangerous ground. Rights are already being violated. People are already being, being attacked with logically fallacious assertions. Watch yourself. All right. So, Biden's executive orders. Biden has signed over 42 executive actions, according to CNN. According to CNN, he has signed over 42 executive actions. The article says, President Joe Biden hasn't wasted any time setting his agenda into motion through a flurry of executive actions that address everything from COVID-19 to the climate crisis. 42 actions. means That means 28 orders, several memoranda, several proclamations, things of that sort. Well, a lot of people are rightly attacking Biden for overreaching his authority. A lot of folks are rightly trying to see, you know, why in the world are you going to talk about unity in your speeches and then go and do a bunch of things that are not unifying, that alienate 70 million plus people? So, for example, one of those things is the Paris Climate Accord that he got back into. The Paris Climate Accord, not only, not only does that Paris Climate Accord unevenly apply rules to address the so-called crisis, the Paris Climate Accord threatens to smother U.S. industry and threatens to destroy certain businesses' ability to act with their property in voluntary means. The Paris Climate Accord usurps the United States sovereignty, disregards our strong tradition of liberty and individualism, and supplants it for the rule of these offshore 
bureaucrats. The Paris Climate Accord is unjust. We, not bureaucrats in Paris, not bureaucrats in Europe, not bureaucrats in Washington for that matter. We, the people, individuals, and our individual capacities are the best stewards of the land. Because we have more at stake. The EPA can go over and spill a bunch of toxins in the Gold King water mine and then shield themselves with absolute immunity from being sued and go about their merry way. If an individual does that through contracts and torts, they would be eviscerated. They'd be financially and utterly eviscerated. The government is a poor steward of the property, a poor steward of the environment. But for Joe Biden, that doesn't matter. What matters for Joe Biden? Being able to present the appearance of competence rather than embody the substance of competence. Being able to present the appearance of competence, not embodying the substance thereof. It's that thing about authenticity that I've been talking about. He wants to restore trust in the government. Executive order. Equity. This idea of these, these collective notions of race. Resigning the 1776 commission. Reinstating the sort of racially conscious training that Biden's been doing. That, that, that Trump reversed. That embodies critical race theory principles. That is the legacy that Biden is building. And as of today, he is 28 executive orders in. It probably has changed over the past few hours, the past few days. That is too shy away from Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his first month in office. And Biden is like two weeks in. What is, it's obvious that the Biden administration does not see a compelling role for individuals to legislate their own lives, to legislate these own matters in their own ways. It's very obvious to me that the Biden administration is too busy playing fast and loose, catching loose with with the American people. And the problem, people say all these executive orders are terrible. They're terrible, but guess what? They can exist because there is a bloated, overextended government in almost every level of society. The EPA, the Department of Education, almost every level of society the government exists in. The president can only use the machinery that is available to him. If you get rid of the machinery, the executive tyranny stuff becomes much, 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 much less. But a lot of us on the right only want to complain about the executive orders and be okay when a Republican president uses those same orders to do similar things and clap when that happens. But go right back to being outraged when a leftist is in office and does it. What in the world, people? What in the world? If you want to limit the power of executive tyranny, begin streamlining or getting rid of most executive agencies in the federal government. 
If you do that, the president will have to rely more on the systems and balances bequeathed upon him, bequeathed upon our republic by the Constitution. He will have less authority. He will have less things he can do unilaterally. But until you start talking about abolishing the EPA and the Department of Education and all these other things, until you begin having those serious conversations, you have no right to speak or complain about executive tyranny. Because your silence towards those things, which enable the president to have so much power, is what is causing these gross overreaches to occur. Think on it. As always, my friends, if you enjoyed this production, please subscribe to me on YouTube. My channel is Christian Watson. Please subscribe to me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Pets of Politics. Please donate to me, PayPal, officialcwatson.com, and please interact with me on social media at officialcwatson, Twitter, and so on. As always, my friends, thank you so much, and please stay pensive. I love you. Bye-bye.